Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast. In each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with maritime professionals, industry experts, and ambitious students who are making waves in the field. Our guests come from different backgrounds, including shipping, yachting, supply chain, offshore, and more. Our goal is to motivate and empower individuals by giving them the knowledge and resources they need to succeed in the maritime world. Hello everyone, welcome back to a new podcast episode. On today in this uh, episode, we are with Martin. Hello Martin, uh, it's a pleasure to having you today. Uh, so Martin is an experienced seafarer. He has many experience in like uh, at sea. Uh, he starts from scratch and now he's a captain and uh, as well he manages his own vessel. So you have a very interesting background and I would like to ask you this first question, which is can you introduce yourself please, uh, Martin? Yes, uh, my name is Martin van der Duins Gauten. Uh, I'm from the Netherlands and um, I have been sailing the last uh, 15 years, I would say. Uh, it's not my initial background. I studied uh, in an agricultural university after I left high school. Uh, I did some teaching after that. And only when I sort of had enough of that, I, 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 I went on a world tour, a friend asked me if he wanted to join an expedition to Patagonia. Um, I spent a lot of time in the south there sailing on a small sailing boat, climbing. And um, when I came back to the Netherlands, I, I, uh, I uh, became a, a deckhand. <laughs> yes, the first position on the vessel. And nice. that's what into what I've become now, 15 years later, uh, first uh, nautical officer after some studies. Uh, in the Netherlands, on sailing vessels, you have to add large sailing vessels, and um, always sailing in, in cold waters, Arctic waters. Um, sometimes as also in Antarctic waters, but I specialize in uh, those regions. And since five years now, I'm a vessel manager for uh, a small expedition vessel, um, forty meters only in size. And uh, we have 12 passengers taking them to Spitsbergen, to Norway, to Greenland, uh, hopefully in the future to Canada. Mm. Um, yeah. I also have a master's license, um, which I sometimes use to be on board. Um, I just returned from an Arctic expedition. And um, I also need the sailing time to, to, to keep up with that license. So uh, with my wife. Oh. Okay, so you moved then to, to Germany. The company okay. where, where I work is in Germany and I work in uh, I work in home office basically, but uh, uh, I like it in Germany and uh, I'm a climate refugee, as, as what I always say. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. um, I, live in, I live in the mountains, which is far from the sea. Um, That's quite funny, yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> I have a small lake and I have a small sailing boat, so I can... Oh, wow keep connection with the water that's and, good uh, uh, i get enough to to water areas sometimes so that's okay i know what you're talking about i need a, a lake or the sea very close because uh, i'm always sailing as well after this recording for example i will uh, give some uh, sailing instructions mm -hmm. so it's always a part of my life uh, but uh, i would i would like to ask you this question why uh, did you work in the maritime industry, I mean, why do you have this interest about boats? Well, um, it was always there, uh, especially as a child. 
um, one of the first books I read was a Dutch um, Dutch book about a first uh, a deckhand and a mate and a captain, mm. little boy in the 1700s, 1600s, going on this large, well, pirate expeditions to steal the Spanish fleet uh, from a famous, well, now not so more, but famous Dutch writer, um, Klaas Norel. And I also read his other books about seafarers and um, I was so much inspired by that. I, I read that book six times, I think, as a child. Wow. <laughs> and, um, um, I sort of forget, for, for, was forgetting about that. My parents had a sailing boat and I joined them often. But uh, as I got a little bit older, teenager, I, I didn't want to be on the boat anymore every weekend. Um, I picked it up when I was a, a student again. And um, interestingly, interestingly, I uh, got a... I did a test in high school. What should I study? You know, as so many people do, you know, questioning. And um, one of the top uh, answers always was um, um, ship mechanical engineering. And um, huh. um, whenever I'm now in the, in the shipyard and I'm doing, uh, discussing large works on the vessel, and I, I realize oh, I should have studied uh, shipbuilding. Uh, would have been the perfect job for me. And uh, I, I'm really interested in the techniques. Um, and also the processes that, 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 that are around that. Um, there's a large shipbuilding industry in the Netherlands, of course. I come from the Rotterdam area, and um, we had a lot of shipbuilding facilities okay. next door, basically behind the dike where I was living. So it's always been there, but I just sort of forgot about it, and I went to study this uh, on this agricultural university. I got into a completely different world and mindset as well, and uh, only when I, um, when I was in South America, I realized this, this sea has always drawn me back and uh, the water. Um, and I, um, the, during the first year in, in the Arctic, it was 2012, I think, um, I, uh, I, I realized that, that I really like this kind of work, this, this world uh, with ships uh, that interests me. The, you know the people that you meet but also the techniques and the navigation and um the adventure has always drawn me as well especially in the arctic uh, basically i was I, I first years in the arctic I was sailing on a large three-masted sailing vessel uh we had fast boats to bring the people ashore uh mm. with guns to you know to protect against uh, against the polar bears um so I was feeling like uh, like a little pirate, uh, you know, <laughs> in a three-masted vessel. And uh, this feeling has always stayed uh, with me, of course. Uh, it has grown. Uh, it's much more about uh, safety uh, mm. and, uh, and also uh, guest experience. I've also gone into sales, so uh, crewing as well. But uh, this sense of adventure has always been there, and I think that's the main the main draw for me. I could not work on a vessel that is always doing the same same line. Uh, yeah. Yeah, me, I know what you mean. Interesting. So, can you uh, maybe talk about uh, your current uh, uh, job, which is a uh, uh, MS Cap race, the the boat you are working on? Uh, what if, what type of expedition you are doing? Can you talk about it, please? Well, we we organize uh, seven or ten or fourteen day trips voyages. Um, to Arctic regions. Um, this year, the last years, we have been in Spitsbergen, 
and uh, we have also um, we also go to northern Norway, also above the Arctic Circle. Um, we mainly uh, have German passengers because we sell in this market. Okay. We are both vessel owner and operator of the vessel. Okay. Um, my job is, is vessel manager and I'm basically a relief captain, I would say. I have two colleagues that share most of the load uh, as a captain. Um, but as I said, I want to keep my license and I also really like the job itself. So. Yes. And, um, I, I organize everything that has to do with the vessel. So it's a very small company. Uh, it's a small vessel. Uh, there's a larger company behind, uh, which is a publishing company. So we use, uh, let's say, the the, the, the the editing qualities from them for brochures and websites and, and stuff like that. And uh, what I do is organize the crewing. Um, I organize the logistics, the technical maintenance. Okay. Basically being there whenever there is a problem, quality management um, of the product that our uh, our passengers buy in the end. I also do some business-to-business -business sales. We have some okay. Very wide. You touch to uh, almost everything. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you see that. It's accounting and uh, the website. And uh, I also don't do uh, the, the, the business-to-customer sales, so the B2C, which is done by a travel agents in Germany. It's a char actually, it's, it's a charter business. I mean, you giving a expedition to people. Uh, it's like during, I don't know, many days, weeks, and they can book it. Yes. It's, okay. So it's, char it's a yachting charter, I guess. Yes. It's not, it's not a traditional charter where you charter the whole vessel, although we, we sometimes do that to operators, that they say, okay, we have 12 people, we can bring them. We sell individual tickets to our expeditions via our website, via the travel agent. Okay. Okay. Our vessel Cape Race is equipped for 12 passengers and eight uh, crew. And we uh, operate those voyages um, in, in a, yeah, from, from A to Z. So flights, um, birthing, oh, ship, transfers, uh, but also everything that's on board with the food and everything and uh basically people buy an individual tickets for those voyages uh, okay so, so actually it's a mix of cruising on yachting like we can say yeah 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 it is a, it is it is a yacht a commercial yacht it's, mm -hmm. it's, the vessel is registered um and uh, it's cruising because uh, you sort of have a general idea of what you want to do but in this case expedition cruising means that you are uh, going uh, without a prefixed route uh, to certain areas, and you just see what happens. So, um, at the moment, for instance, the vessel is in the northwest coast of Spitsbergen. I know sort of, you know, which fjords are we going to visit. You don't know in which order. Uh, you make a plan for a landing to go ashore for make a hike, but then a polar bear shows up, and you can't go ashore. So then you have to change the plan to maybe a Zodiac cruise uh, uh, in front of a glacier. Um, and that is, that is basically the, the expedition part of it, where you never know exactly in front or ahead what you're going to do and where you're going to be. Um, okay. Just know that you're going to be back in the, in the in port after yeah. 10 days. Nice. 
Okay, so it's a good overview of what you do. Uh, I have, I want to ask you this question, which is very important for people who, who want to know how it works, uh, the job of a vessel manager. And can you talk a little bit more about the Arctic side? Because vessel manager, this is the someone responsible to manage all aspects of the ship, of the vessel. But what is the difference when you have to do it for the Arctic part of the world? You have maybe more responsibilities, what kind of task you need to take into account? Well, um one one aspect is of course uh, the vessel preparations um yeah immersion suits and uh, following the polar code uh, training of officers uh, stuff like that um the other side is uh, the the remoteness um so uh, that means also contact with crew um in satellite connections are improving uh, say starlink but um but still It is far away, and uh, I only have limited access to uh, to email and, and to the crew itself. Yeah. Um, and then um, I think the special thing about Arctic is is that anything can break down where you don't expect it. Of course, L ships have maintenance and wear and tear, but uh, to get parts then there that is very difficult because the, the in in Spitsburg, there's a town, there's two and a half thousand people living there, and they have, uh, you know, a service that does heating, for instance, but it's heating mm. on land and not on ships. So you got to improvise then if something breaks down in your heating system or your cooling system or in your oh. engine or this or that. And um, to get parts up there usually takes a few days, uh, if uh, at all. And uh, to get people up there as well, sometimes you need to fly in people. So that mm. is very difficult. And... Um, Uh, you need to bring spare parts as much as you can. <laughs> oh, I, I can see that. But uh, you have experience uh, about uh, like engine failure on this kind of uh, issue at sea? Um, not not engine failure itself, uh, thank God. Um, our engine is a very reliable Caterpillar uh, yeah. cylinder engine. They are not diesel. They don't break down so easily. Um, but... Uh, Yeah, generator and uh, heating. We now have a problem with the cooling, uh, the freezer, the prof uh, yeah, provisions uh, freezer. Um, outboards. Um, last year, one of our our guides hit a, hit a rock uh, underwater uh, driving the boat. Uh, so the, um, the gearbox of this outboard was completely destroyed. And, uh, oh. Basically, buy a new one, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, uh, yeah, I've had all kinds of different things that you have to improvise a little bit for. Uh, okay, so it's your role you you to find solution in, in terms of uh, in case of issue. But as a vessel manager, you always have to maintain the the ship. Sometimes do refit of the ship. Uh, go to the shipyard and. Yeah, that's also the big part of it. So our vessel is, is, is an older vessel, 60 years old. And I have noticed over the years that it's very important to, to maintain a vessel like this. You can't run her down you know, mm. for seven and a half months per year. You need to have at least two months of, sh of shipyard dry dock or resting time in the winter where you, where you improvise, where you repair sorry, the, the, the vessel. And um, we spent the last two years, two months per winter at the dry dock. Effectively on the dry, we last year we've taken out the entire uh, 
shaft, propeller shaft, intermediate shaft, all of the oh. bearings. Uh, replaced all of that. We put a new propeller on it for the first time in 60 years. Um, so the whole drivetrain there was was overlooked. We did a lot of works in the main engine, generators. Um, the year before that, we sort of started planning this. So we had to take out everything and look at everything and then order it because that's six months ordering time in part for those parts. Um, there's always a chance that you need to replace some steel on the hull or you know, on some of the other parts. And uh, the first two years of my job, uh, we have completely been on the dry uh, with the vessel and we've completely refitted, uh, well, I'd say 70% of the vessel. So we've taken up everything including frames, decks, uh, taken off the bridge and replaced everything. Uh, also, uh, mm. joinery inside, uh, all the water, all the electricity, all the navigation systems. Um, of course, the whole paint system was replaced, uh, insulation. Um, oh, and wow. You can't think of anything that we didn't do. And so, uh, yeah. the first two years and, and well, then, then, and COVID came and we tried to operate a little bit, it was difficult. Um, yeah. Now we got into a steady flow where we have you know, 30 voyages per year. Yeah, so. I imagine. But what is the most complicated and challenged, uh, I can say, uh, task as a vessel manager? People. Oh, people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crew. Yeah. To find a dedicated, qualified crew that are happy, that stay happy, mm -hmm. are um, able to cope with the circumstances where we work in. Uh, you know, a lot of vessels that um, that are out there, uh, freight vessels, they don't have, well, they have cargo, but the cargo doesn't talk. Our cargo talks and, you know, questions, and they want equality because the people, they pay a lot of money yes. on board. So, uh, you got to be able to uh, talk back to them a little bit, either in German or in English. That doesn't matter. But um, uh, you got to have a story to tell, and you, you need to not be too shy to to approach people, to assist them, and uh, to make a joke or something something like this. And okay. um, as well, qualified people. It's it's uh, it's there's a lot of seafarers out there, but uh, um, I find that. Uh, either they have a bit too much specialized experience to be on a small vessel like ours, um, which is uh, which is smaller crew accommodations, um, and uh, yeah, we we organize a lot ourselves, uh, less with agents. We do more, you know, improvisation of of you know, going from the airport to the ship for instance um we have a lot of local contacts to do those things also always worked well but uh for uh, to find crew that actually is 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 uh is uh, is uh, what do you find work in those circumstances uh also without much telephone connection uh, mm. to their families uh, yes it's it's not easy uh, yeah, I, I can I can imagine. I know that crewing was a very uh, complicated aspect uh, because I was a yacht manager assistant when I started uh, working in the yachting industry. 
And we always have to find new crew members. It was a big thing. And we have quite a shortage in the industry to find the qualified people, the good people. And yep. I imagine the Arctic parts of the world, it's more, more complicated because, yeah, it's, it's not the Mediterranean Sea. Everyone wants to, to go at sea. No, it's completely different. It's a completely different world. And uh, so that counts. Uh, what also is a lot of work for me is, um, I mean, I work with about 30 different people. Huh? So that have, we have eight permanent positions, but it's divided around 30 people. Uh, most of them, of course, part-time, some full-time persons, but um, there's a lot of administration behind that. You know, the seafarer contracts, um, the, the, uh, with the payrolling agent needs to know exactly who, when, where, uh, how much. Uh, in Germany, the whole tax system for, and, the, and the insurance system for, for the seafarers that are from Germany um and then all of the qualifications the endorsements for those for the officers um trainings refresher trainings need to be organized or taken care of um so that's that's quite a big uh quite a big thing and um um uh, also the planning uh, i mean most of our our crew works also on other vessels sometimes they have always term contracts and it's a lot of negotiation when are you available when can you be there and uh, of course we also always need to fly them in and the coordination of of that i don't book the flights thank god but uh, I, I you know I have to make sure that travel agents has to know when from where to where on which time and how to get them to the festival so okay details. okay um, interesting interesting two days out of my five for sure, it's crew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I imagine. Okay. So the crew is a big part of your job. And uh, more technically about the ship itself. Uh, so you, you, you sail uh, uh, on the Arctic area. What about uh, the ship itself? I mean, this is like icebreaker or not? And can you explain a little bit how, how it works, the classifications we have? It's, I think, very interesting. Yeah. So... Um, a lot of people that, that, that talk to me and they say, ah, oh, they hear Arctic. And they say, oh, it must be cold. Well, <laughs> um, yes, it can be cold in, in, in spring and in autumn and especially winter. So we are not there in winter. Huh? Um, in the summer, it can be 20 degrees and even now oh. 25 degrees. The climate change is really, uh, the temperature um, is really rising in, in the Arctic. Uh, Spitsburg plus trees, you know, since 10 years, I see the glaciers rapidly retreating there. So it's not that cold, and yes, it can be bad weather, uh, wind, and, and now also they have some snow already, mm. um, and uh, not too soon, and not not too far away. It will be minus ten in the winter in North Norway. Have minus fifteen or minus seventeen at times, but ice um, obviously um, ice is there, especially in the, in the spring. Um, but it's not as much as you would expect. And we are not an icebreaker, like you said. We have ice strengthened vessel, you know, large, uh, less uh, frame distance in the forward mm. area of the vessel. We don't go into sea ice and we definitely do not break it. Mm. Uh, we don't go into fjord ice. We go in areas that have an ice concentration of you know, 50% or, or maximum 70%, that's quite a lot, and you can't go But, um, yeah, the vessel is is, is is made 
for operating in, in ice waters, but it's not an icebreaker. And uh, mm. some of the new larger expedition vessels out there, they are properly equipped to be an icebreaker. Okay. Do you feel limited about this fact, the fact that it is not an icebreaker? Sometimes <laughs> you imagine, no. oh, I need an icebreaker, no? No, uh, basically it's all about planning. So you avoid the areas where you can be locked into the ice. So let's say you have a fjord uh, opening out to sea and there's some islands out uh, in front of the coast uh, in the sea. So if you know there is ice in a certain area and there's a wind direction uh, that is predominant or you have seen it on the grip files and um, you also you can see the ice from a large distance because the ice blink um and it's this, this reflection against the lower clouds and um once you um, are able to calculate that current as well very important so you have to have some local knowledge on where you sail um then uh if you do that well uh, you do not get locked into uh, an ice uh, area and you can sail mm -hmm. in out of the fjord in time without ice contact basically okay um, course the passengers would like to see ice it's also always one of the questions can we go to the sea ice and, and and it's it's a great thing to to bring the vessel to the edge of the ice and maybe a little bit you know two ships lengths in a little mm. bit just to because it's all broken up you can you can very slowly one knot you can just yeah. go yeah, in sure. um and that is not a danger itself to the vessel uh to the to the vessel structure uh, the propeller is the is the is the is the weakest part there Uh, we have a, a ring around the propeller, a uh, cord nozzle. Okay. And actually, um, this is sort of a cage which is protecting the propeller. Uh, it's originally meant to, to give more push, of course, to the, to the former fishing vessel that it was. Oh, you mean the propeller? You have a, a cage around on. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh. yeah, this was made in the fishing times um, to pull or pull harder. Uh, so you concentrate the. The propeller flow and um, yeah, it, 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 at fishing, pulling up the nets, they needed a lot of that. Um, okay. uh, we still have it um, and it serves sort of as a cage to protect, uh, to protect, especially when reversing uh, in the ice uh, to protect uh, your propeller. Yeah, sure. It's quite deep, so uh, our propeller tip, or the, the top, is at two meters below water level. Mm. So you have a pretty big draft in the ship itself. Yeah, it's almost four meters. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So, okay. And then if you if you realize that the ice uh, thickness, the sea ice thickness uh, of young fresh ice, one year ice, is about 50 centimeters, then I can be quite confident that when I back up in those ice conditions, it's remember it's just two three ships lengths back up. Uh, that I won't damage the propeller in this way. Uh, okay, because the most important thing is uh, reverse mode. If you, if you have uh, ice, it can destroy the propeller more than uh, if you're going uh, front. Well, if you go front with 10 knots and you hit, an, hit a piece of for ice. Sure, for sure, but yeah. I mean, I mean, just not a question of speed, a question of um, the fact that the propeller is working. Uh, if you touch the ice from the back, It has direct impact on the propeller, but if it's from the front, you still first you have the hull, and then you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Then sort of the shape of the vessel makes it go around. And, yes. 
Yes. So in my mind, um, this is important. One other thing that we never thought of before um, is that the seawater can be super cold in those areas uh, uh, because mm. it can be actually below zero. And if you go deep enough, and the vessel, previous vessel owner had this problem once, that the seawater intake, which is also at three and a half meters, the seawater intake was taken in so much uh, cold water and also fresh ice, so the really, you know, the finest parts, you know, yes. through the through the grating there, that the whole sea chest was basically blocked up with um, ice particles, and they couldn't get enough seawater for cooling the generator, for cooling the main oh, engine. Yes. Mm. And, um, we have a we have a possibility to bring our uh, main engine cooling water back into the sea chest, thereby preheating this this area. And we also have a possibility to put um, uh, air inside the sea chest in this way. So we need to switch off the main engine in order to do it. And you can blow out this ice, theoretically, um, mm. let it fill up with water. Of course, you need to de-air it, etc. The engineer has, has a job there. But you have a bigger, better possibility of um, stopping the engine, blowing the air, ice out, and starting again. And uh, it has happened before, so it's not impossible. Oh. Uh. Okay, wow, it's uh, such a very interesting. Uh, what about class? What what different class of ships we have uh, for ice as ice, ice breaker? Uh, well, our ship is not an icebreaker. Yeah, for you, in your case, no. Uh, there is a polar class, um, mm. which has like six categories. Um, we don't have that. Uh, it has only uh, this ice strengthening, uh, less frame distance. So instead of, because the vessel is American built, we have, I think, 23 inch uh, frame distance in the in the aft or the two third aft. And the front part of the vessel, front third is uh, 17 inch, I believe. Okay. And um, also thicker plating. So instead of um, um, in many areas in the in the stern, it's three eighths of an inch. It's about nine millimeters, nine and a half millimeters. And uh, in the forward part, it's more like half inch or even five fifth eighth of an inch, which is up to I think fifteen millimeters. Um, so that's that's a bit stronger um, just to deal with the ice. Okay. I also have to point out that there is different types of ice. Not many people, oh. so, but you have sea ice generally, and then you have fjord ice. Fjord ice is glacial ice made from fresh water. Sea oh, ice is made from frozen seawater. It's a lot weaker sea ice, and the fjord ice is actually that is the dangerous part. Yeah, the sea ice, it's it's weak, it's soft. You can basically drive your ship through if it's thin enough, like 20, 30 okay. centimeters, it will go apart. But fjord ice, a big piece, uh, or even a small size piece that you find is a cubic meter, and it weighs 1,000 kilograms. So if you hit that at six knots, um, or even at four knots, you'll definitely feel that through the vessel. Huh? It's a vibrate your vessel, and uh, it could have an impact uh, on a weld, or if you hit it, if you have bad luck, uh, you know, might you might you might have a problem then. Um, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know about it. But uh, the the ice from the 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 what uh, what is the name? So you have sea ice, and you said and glacier ice. Yes. Okay, this one is uh, close to the coast. It cannot be at uh, far away. 
Mm. Well, uh, if you talk about icebergs, for instance, the one that the Titanic, oh, uh, yeah. this is obviously uh, created in Greenland and uh, came down uh, Davis Street there. And mm. then um, that's where the Titanic hit it. Oh. And this was also glacier ice. Oh, it was not sea ice from the Titanic. No, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. When we see documentary about it, they don't provide this information. They're just talking about the ship itself, but not about the ice. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then, then it's depending on the 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 the, the age of the, this glacial ice. Some of it is super old, and it's it's basically translucent. You can look through it. You know, it's it's super clear, and it's very oh. hard to see when there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of waves. Uh, it's exactly like the mountain, actually. If you go to Halp, you have the, in French, say glacier, which is the part of, it's always, uh, uh, always snowing ice because it's very uh, high altitude. And you can see the, the ice is very like trans transparent. I can say you can, you can see, uh, across yep. it. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, on, about polar ships or so polar ship can across all kind of ice or only the sea ice? Well, uh, I think any, any polar ship, uh, Okay. It's easier to deal with in, in sea ice. Mm. In sea ice, there the problem is the, the quantity of it, and uh, and uh, it will basically hinder your um, progress through a certain area, especially when it's changing, and it's changing all the time. There's a wind, there's a current. Mm. The glacier ice, it's much more isolated dangers. Mm. Like a shallow rock or something like this, um, where you um, that you have to avoid. You have to sail around. Um, in our case, uh, anything over, let's say, fifty times fifty times fifty centimeters, I try to avoid. Huh? Okay. Okay. And, um, but that's just slaloming through through this area. Uh, just being very watchful as a watch officer and just constantly adjusting the rudder. And just going through uh, these particles, and it's only a limited, you know, amount of time and, and, and space because it's in front of the glacier. It's maybe three miles, maybe two, uh, maybe just a band of ice where you need to go through because of the wind and the currents that put it there. The sea ice, if you talk about, let's say, a, a northeast passage, uh, um, uh, to be uh, to name something very extreme. That is a very long stretch of a, very, a lot of ice. Also, of course, creating mm. in the Baltic, um, where ships, uh, cargo ships go in winter to pick up wood in Finland. They have to go through long pieces, long stretches of, of, of open water with ice. And uh, that is a completely different story, of course. And there you need, uh, need to be prepared much differently as well. Okay. Okay. And in terms of uh, engineering, I mean, the engine on eating system when you turn on the engine uh, you know to 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 take the fuel from the tank and to bring to the the engine like very quite hot the good temperature uh, do you have like more uh, more advanced system than like a regular uh, ship i mean when you sail in arctic uh, part of the world or for polar ship no our engine is preheated but uh but a general heating system on board a separate boiler it's also diesel burning um but that's just to keep it warm before you start it um i do believe we do heat up the, the diesel a little bit uh, before uh before putting it in, in, in into the engine but 
actually the the water temperature itself um, of the surrounding waters they are you know in Spitsbergen it's four degrees to okay. two degrees okay. at least in summer but it's pretty constant um, okay. the only thing that is uh, very difficult to do in Arctic waters is water production so we use a reverse osmosis process where we make our own water on board and this uh, is greatly affected by the water temperature um, whereas you would with 20 degrees water you would maybe produce let's say 200 liters with one system and per hour and in Arctic then 70 liters um, so a third of that oh that makes sense and, uh, of course passengers need to be kept warm so you need to have a pretty good boiler um, yes and you have to have different safety kind of equipment uh, because if you have to abandon the ship then you're in deep shit. <laughs> oh yeah. Right, but yeah, in terms of safety, it needs to be like quite a EV regulation or EV. I mean uh, equipments. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, let's switch to another topic more about uh, uh, maybe uh, you know uh, sustainability technologies. The new your your ship is quite old. You mentioned. And uh, you, do you want to make it like uh, more advanced uh, and can be in terms of sustainability or even in terms of technology on board, uh, navigational equipment, this kind of stuff? Well, uh, anything that has to do with electronics, you can replace easily, of course. Yeah. So last year, uh, we brought a new Actis, new radar, uh, stuff like that. Uh, get a Starlink next year. Um, you know, let's just add on. Uh, it's a bit of work, but it's okay. And then um, on the sustainability part, especially the main engine is, is, a, is a high consumer generator mm. as well. And uh, we, we use, uh, you know, MGO or diesel. Um, and um, this, of course, is, is not sustainable in the long run. Yeah. And on the other hand, this vessel has operated for 60 years already with this engine. Well, not with this engine, it was another engine, but with this fuel um and uh we have fuel tanks and the ship is laid out for this and we would like to change this yeah we'd like to change uh fuel system so to go to a different kind of fuel do you have any idea about the technology of fuel there is not so much available um mm. obviously i mean uh, diesel electric uh, uh but still using diesel so what about uh, methanol because methanol is quite actually close to the diesel uh, system itself. You don't need to change many things on board in terms of tank or even engine. Is that is that is that something that works in passenger vessels or rather? For, for, uh, sorry, I know that uh, in the shipping industry, like container vessels, like uh, Maersk launched this methanol vessel. Uh, on many companies right now, we launch methanol vessel. In the cruising industry, I have no clue about it, but I know that in the shipping uh, industry, we we will see we will see many many of them uh, in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. So um, to change that into into our vessel, um, that would be a challenge in itself. You really need to want that. Uh, also, it will be costly, I guess, to get a new engine, or new yes. system, including a boiler, etc. Um, one thing that you need to consider is that you need to be able to fuel up in the area where you operate. And uh, mm, oh, yes. this is a, this is a large, this is a big problem. Um, in Hamburg, our 
hometown on board, we usually bunker GTL, which is a gas to liquid. Um, it's basically a, a rest product from the petrochemical industry, um, where they turn gas into uh, diesel-like uh, fuel. Uh, no sulfur, uh, biodegradable, etc. So that's quite good. But I cannot get it in Norway. There's no yeah. bunker supply services that sells it, especially not in Svalbard, Spitsburg. Next year, we're going to Greenland, Greenland and everybody there uses diesel. So what else are you going to do? Uh, bring your own ship with fuel uh, to be yeah. there? Or... Yeah. That it's more, so it's more an issue about uh, infrastructure than like the ship itself again. Because I, I think what, what, you, what you see right now is that some of the new ships that are out there for expedition vessels, um, they do a lot of hybrids, so more uh, electrical. Um, but then, of course, you need something to generate the electrics as well, and then you can save that up for a bit, and you can drive uh, on electrical engines for a bit. Uh, That's why we see a nuclear vessel in the Arctic part of the, the yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, I, I, you can you can become more sustainable by when you uh, build in a new engine, uh, diesel yeah. engine that has uh, better electronics and technology to the control, and maybe you can also uh, that's something that that I'm thinking about is switching to this yeah the diesel electric where you have like three generators. Uh, I would controlled so. by computer mm. that are either one is running at half power or all three of them are running at full power. Um, and if this is done properly by electronics, I, I guess you can save a lot of uh, consumption of fuel. Okay, so I, I, I actually you are talking about hybrid system like we have uh, on the car, for mm. example, the Toyota, Lexus, the kind of car. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, yes, I, I think this is the the, 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 the way to go for now, but um, uh, at the same time, it will not be enough. And uh, I also see that, uh, that you need to change that. And uh, one area to, 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 to start this change is, for instance, in Norway, you see a lot of uh, electric catamarans, uh, ferries. Yes, yes. Um, they, they operate in a, in a, in a you know, in a small area uh, from A to B and back, um, and they're able to recharge at night. But, and, you know, that's fine. And that's where it should start to get the technology out there, to get to get experience with this kind of technology. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very confident that this technology will improve over the next, let's say, 20 years because yeah. of that. Yeah. for it. In, in port, you know, the, all of the, in Hamburg, there's a lot of tugboats and, um ferries as well you can all you could all make them electric basically especially in North, northern europe we have quite we are quite advanced in terms of uh, these technologies that's, that's how, how it is that's how it, how it goes you know and um you need to start somewhere and you can't do everything all at once and uh, that's true uh, we would definitely like to uh to become more sustainable because it's also a demand from our passengers and uh, mm. Also, you know, we show them the fragility of the Arctic nature, the glaciers, etc. And at the same time, we contribute to their to their loss. Um, but um, I think it's it's 
uh, I also, you know, it's a political statement, but you need to express the will and the desire to become more sustainable. And then, of course, you need to talk to other people, uh, fair trades, trade shows, or um, yeah. to competitors, or you need to read magazines, and you need to talk to people that are studying right now. Because they yeah, yeah, sure, you need to co collaborate, these kind of things. This is the only way to make it more. Uh, yeah, if there's a startup that has a good idea, it needs to be you know, supported. Uh, as well, true. and um, that is that is how progress starts. And the shipping industry is is very slow to. very very fast, but there are a lot of innovations out there. I'm sure that they will, uh, some of them at least will 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 stick. They will. Uh, yes, because right yeah. now we don't have one solution. We have many of them. But we don't know which one is the most realistic one, which one we can implement. That's the fa the fact. Mm. Well, that, that that is you know that is that is that is that is how human how humans work. Yeah, uh, and uh, there was a lot of sailors that went to in search of uh, of India and Indonesia. Only some found it, uh, and then from different areas they came, and uh, from different directions. Um, and uh, this is the same like this. We're looking for this. The solution and there's different ways to get to this solution and uh, everybody and everything trying that is is a, is an effort in itself and it's worth it and some of them won't succeed for sure huh? but it yeah. doesn't mean that the quest itself is stupid huh? yes yes that's true that's true good uh -huh. i want to ask you two last questions because the time is running very quickly we can talk for 10 hours if we want, but I was, I would like to ask you this question. I think, can you describe one, uh, in the Arctic part of the world, one uh, experience you, you have like something crazy you, you did? <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a trick question because I have gathered so much experience in the last, uh, 10, 15 years. Um, I've participated in over 60 expeditions. Um, my absolutely favorite environment is South Georgia, um, which is an island in the South Pacific, South Atlantic. Um, that I've been there a few times. Um, the first time on a six-week private expedition, just three guys in a sailing boat. Later, I was there with a, a large uh, cruise vessel, uh, two hundred people on board, um, and. This island is so full and rich of wildlife that it's just incredible. You, you cannot imagine uh, what it means, but uh, if you haven't seen it, there are penguins and seals all over the place, glaciers, um, history as well, human history. Uh, Shackleton, if you're familiar with that name, he started his, his last expedition from there to Endurance. He died there as well. And... Um, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that place. Uh, it's something I, I, I dream of going back to at least. Um, and um, I, can't wait. Well, nice. I, I can name one other island that that is the White Island in uh, in the east of uh, of Spitsbergen. Uh, okay, which is a which is oh, yeah. super special. Huh? It's, it's good to know you're like this part of the world. And uh, I want to ask you this last question, which is what advice can you give to someone or like can be young or someone who just want to switch uh, his career uh, to, to work in 
vessel operation or even at sea? Okay, what kind of advice can you give? Well, the uh, one big part of advice for upcoming uh, watch officers um, for me would be to do not over rely on your instruments. Also, trust your eyes and your ears. Do not forget about those. I see it a lot that a lot of people are uh, overconfident. Ah, the act is, uh, you know, it should be a safe waters. But then if you look at the echo sounder, maybe uh, there's something completely different in there. This happens in Arctic waters. Uh, and you need to look out. Yeah? Uh, the, the vessel that grounded last week in uh, in Greenland, um, um, that, uh, that, that, that could have had some indications about shallow areas, looking at the glaciers, look, looking at the geology of the area. And I find a lot of young young people that are that are looking too much at the screens basically, and they should more look outside because that's where it's happening, and that's this eyeball navigation, as we call it. And uh, this is still very important in Arctic waters. Okay. Um, and anybody uh, that wants to do more in vessel management, I would uh, I would uh, suggest to. Um, to invest in people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned, it's a big part of the job. Yeah. Yes. And also, uh, people are the most important. There's, there's the one that doing the things in the end and they're making the product. Uh, yeah. And uh, you need to communicate with them and make sure that they are uh, functioning well with the means that they have. Okay. Okay. Thank you for this uh, insightful. Uh, Uh, I mean, everything you say was very interesting. I, I spent very good time for me. It's even better than a Netflix movie. So thank you. Uh, if you have any things you want to add, uh, don't, do not hesitate. That's the moment. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm very happy that you asked me to be here today and uh, that we could talk about these things that have been my experiences for the last uh, many years. And uh, I'm, I'm always happy to share this kind of um, uh, this kind of things with other people. And I'm, I also notice for myself that I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> what I do, who I am, uh, what I love, and um, um, yeah, sailing in the Arctic. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm super excited to talk about it. So <laughs> we, we noticed that. So thank you again. And I, I wish you a very pleasant day and all the best in your life. Thank you, uh, Martin. And have a very nice day. Have a nice day too. Enjoy. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and watching this episode. We are looking forward to bring you more inspiring stories from maritime professionals, experts, and students. Do not hesitate to leave a review on Apple Podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Your support means a lot to us and it greatly helps in our continuous growth. We committed to bringing you more exciting episodes with passionate guests.